This is Jets at Noon with Cameron Poitras on 680-CJOB. Welcome to Jets at Noon. I'm Tyson Rewicki filling in for Cam for the next couple of days. Alongside with Jim Toth here. We got a jam-packed show today. We're going to talk some Patrice Bergeron retirement. What that means for the Bruins going forward. And uh, the potential effect that it could have on the Jets. And uh, even one potential number one center on the Jets. Who may or may not be on the trade block. You want to get nuts? Let's Let's, get nuts! Oh yeah, baby, let's Let's, get nuts. uh, Let's start the wheels turning here. They need a center. (laughs) So that's going to come after the 12.30 news. And it also seems like there's one less team in the Eric Carlson sweepstakes. But first, let's start with our guest today, Terry Koshan from the Toronto Sun. Terry, how's it going today? I'm good. How are you guys? Good, Terry. Thanks for joining us. Good to hear from you as always. Yeah, you too. Good to hear from you again. Yeah, for sure. I guess we just wanted to start with, we were doing some math yesterday, and uh, albeit that's why we're all in the media, we're not that great at it, but the Leafs are over the cap and still have a William Nylander uh, situation. So there's a lot of teams in this situation. We wanted to get you on, talk Leafs and what they may or may not do after the uh, arbitration awarding for Samsonov. Where are the Leafs right now? What are they looking at to sort of clear some of this cap space up, and how much LTR might they have? Well, they've got, okay, so we're looking at about $12.3 million over the cap, um, 5.6 will come off that total when uh, Jake Muzzin is put on um, LTIR to start the season. So and that's, that won't happen until then, obviously. So that would get them down to roughly 6.7, 6.8 that they have to clear off the boards by uh, what October 11th, whenever the, the season starts. Anyway, so yeah, so there's that. There's the Matt Murray situation, which... Uh, you know, the 48-hour window to, to, to potentially buy him out, that at least then that window, of course, becoming eligible or available, I suppose, once, um, you know, Samsonov went to arbitration. That starts at 5 p.m. Eastern tomorrow and lasts until 5 Eastern on Friday. So they buy out Murray's about 600 against the, – the, the, he's 4.6 right now. That'll drop him to, to 680 against the cap this season and $2 million next season. So they'd save $4 million against the cap there or they can you know try to trade him with the sweetener if you will and get that off the books completely you're still over in that case so there's still there's still some maneuvering to do the Nylander thing doesn't you know factor into it yet because he is under contract for next season and uh you know the goal remains for the Maple Leafs to get him under contract beyond that uh but uh, yeah there's there's no doubt that Brad Treliving who for all intents and purposes still wants to improve the blue line has a lot of stick handling, financial stick handling to do between now and the uh, regular season opener, even with um, Murray or sorry Muzzin and potentially Murray coming off the books. Yeah, Terry, um, there, you said that there's going to have to be some more moves made once Muzzin gets put on LTIR, and if there's the potential Matt Murray buyout, is there a possibility that we see a name like TJ Brody either get traded or bought out in that window as well? Well, maybe, but. That's come up again, but I was told unequivocally when the first buyout window was available at the end of June that he was not being bought out, period. And, I, you know, at that point, the Leafs probably had a pretty good idea that Samsonov might go to arbitration um, uh, because he wasn't going to accept his qualifying offer, obviously, because he thought he was worth more than that. So does that mean that, he's, that Brody is suddenly in play now? Well, I, I guess, but I don't, I don't know that it's going to happen. I don't know that those chances increase any more. Uh, than what they what they would have been before, you know. We'll know by the end of the week. Uh, you know, but the fact of the matter is, did Brody struggle a bit at the end last year and in the playoffs? Yes. 
Was he the only Maple Leaf that did? No. Uh, is there the potential for him to return to the player that he has been for the most part in Leafs uniform? I think so. Um, so, you know, you can, you can go that way if you want, if your brides are living. The fact of the matter is it creates another big hole on a blue line that potentially could have more of them anyway. And, guys, you look at the Leafs blue line, yeah, they signed John Klingberg. But, you know, I would argue that you or, you or I or, uh, you know, a lot of people, I'm being facetious here, might have an easier time clearing people from the front of the net um, in the defensive zone. He's just not that type of player. So you got another offensive guy. you got Connor Timmons they're banking on. Who demonstrated last year the defensive capabilities weren't there. And Mark Giordano, who may or may not be at the end of his line here, you know, he's going to be a, a cheap player for them, 800. Um, but, you know, he struggled in the playoffs too. Jake McCabe did as well. He was did not appear to be a top four guy. So now you're taking Brody out of that mix, you're not left with a lot. And you're still going to have to make improvements to it. So I don't know what they're going to do. Is it a, is it a Cali Yarncroke who goes maybe, but, um, you know, who knows? Maybe they're going to keep their fingers crossed if someone gets hurt in camp and that guy can go to LTIR. Again, I'm kind of kidding, but Brody, I don't know. I, I don't necessarily see it. Um, I would like to think that they think there's still some potential there for him, but if it, if it, if it is a simple cap or sorry, cash crunch they're looking at, then maybe. It's amazing to me, Terry, since Austin Matthews and Patrick Liner were drafted by both Toronto and Winnipeg, how these yep. two franchises have mirrored each other. The top sixes yeah. kind of look the same. Uh, other than Connor Hellebuck as a world-class goalie, these two organizations have, have sort of been built the same way and gone through what they've gone through in the same fashion. And then I look at the free agents that are coming up next season, not this season, next season, and there's six forwards, three D-men that are UFAs, one RFA, and that's what the Jets are dealing with too, right? With Connor Hellebuck and Mark Scheifele needing contracts after next year. Um with what Trilliving wants to do, how big of an emphasis on doing it this offseason is there still? Or how much emphasis do you think plays out during the season or the next offseason? Well, that's just it, right? I think the thing that we got to remember, and this would apply to any team that has, you know, playoff aspirations, is you're going to have your roster set October 11th. I mean, there's a lot of season to be played, and, and you can get those players that you you then determine that you need before the trade deadline. Uh, you know, next next February or March. So, I think I think the key that right now is for Trilliving. He's he's got to get financially in order here. And uh, does that mean that at the same time he can, you know, shape the blue line to be something that he wants it to be? Doesn't appear so. I don't, you know, unless he pulls a rabbit of that somehow. Um, you know, I guess if it gets to a point where they, you know, they think they're not. And then there's another thing to balance here. If it gets to the point where they say, okay, well. We don't think it's going to work here in Nylander contract-wise. You still want to look at it and go, but do we want to trade a 40-goal scorer now and not have him this season and re- reinvestigate this come the trade deadline? There's so many things that come into play. But, you know, as far as what he wants to, to make it in, in, in his view, um, clearly he's done that up front. I think that's done uh, with Max Domi and uh, Tyler Bertuzzi and I guess to a lesser degree Ryan Reeves who – you know, I, I would that would be in the lineup come game one of the playoffs, but might have an impact before then. So he's 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 as he had he's, he said in his words he's added a bit of snot and forwards, but defense it's like I said earlier, Klingberg is not that guy necessarily that they might have needed. You know, I thought maybe Matt Dumbo might have been somebody that they might have looked at, but clearly that didn't happen. And uh, you know, in goal, the thing in goal too, guys is they're going to have to um, if they do something with Murray, they're still going to have to get some sort of goaltender with that has some sort of NHL experience uh, to be a third guy, if you will. Joseph Wall needs waivers now to go to the minors, and they're not going to do that. 
I'd be shocked if they took that risk uh, because they'd be probably lose him. But, you know, they had Eric Schulgren last year and uh, who has now departed the organization in free agency. And, uh, you know, he was reliable in that, in that role if they needed him. But they're not going to have him now. So there, there's still, you hate to say, plenty to do because, you know, uh, the roster as it stands is not bad. But there is enough on Charlie Wing's plate that, you know, to get to the shape of the team that he wants is kind of like the point you're making. It might not be done now, but perhaps later in the season for the trade deadline. Yeah, and Brad Living has done an absolute overhaul of the roster so far up front and a little bit on the back end too. How, how would you compare the Leafs lineup as currently constructed to the lineup that started the playoffs last year? Well, so the, the defense is more or less a wash, right? Um, I mean, they lost Justin Hall and, uh, you know, a couple of others, but, uh, the, you know, not, not, a, not a huge impact. But the, the forwards... Are, are, are Bertuzzi and Max Domi and Ryan Reeves bringing the, the kind of defensive capabilities that Ryan O'Reilly uh, and Alex Kerfoot had? No, they're not. Um, you know, you take Ryan O'Reilly out of the, out of the uh, equation, and that, that's a big hole for them because there's still the idea of what do you do with John Tavares now? Is he going to be your second-line center? Is he going to move to the wing? Did we see in the playoffs that maybe he's not, he's not necessarily suited to be that number two center? Um, you know, now you don't have... Uh, Ryan O'Reilly to be that guy. So, you know, as far as that goes, I don't know that they're better. I, w- I, don't, I wouldn't argue right now that they're better up front. No, I, I wouldn't. Uh, you know, Bertuzzi, if he's healthy, he, I think he'll – will he an improvement on Michael Bunting? Yeah, he is. I think he will be. I, I'm not taking the lead from Bunting back-to-back 23 goal seasons. I think he'll do well in Carolina. But, you know, and he, and he he was a bit of a, a lighter version of what Bertuzzi has a potential to bring, you know, a 30-goal scorer if he's healthy and, and all that. But, uh, you know, Bertuzzi and Domi aren't going to be confused with the most defensively responsible forwards in the league. And uh, there's going to have to be improvements there. Um, now, you're coming back with Sheldon Keith, who whose teams play with good structure. They've improved defensively under Sheldon Keith since he's over from Mike Babcock nearly four years ago. And uh, you'd like to see that. But there's... Um, I, I don't think you're going to find many people right now who would unequivocally argue that, yes, they're a better team than they were uh, than when they lost to Florida on May 12th. Well, that's the interesting part, too, comparing to the Jets is less offense but better defense. Could that mean more wins? And and that's kind of what both organizations are sort of doing, right, Terry? They're trying to find a different way to pile up wins in a different fashion than what they have been in the past four or five years because it just hasn't gotten them anywhere. Yeah, it's you know what, even with the Jets, too, it's it's, it's funny, you know, I mean, if you, it's easy for us in Toronto to say, oh, well, if you add a hellebuck to this Leafs team, if they had had that type of guy, then maybe the Leafs could have gone all the way, perhaps. But, you know, he's, he's been stellar in Winnipeg, and it hasn't happened there either. And for a time there, too, like, you guys know better than me, that was a hell of a blue line that that uh, yeah. that's had. You know, that that, that that window was missed, if you will, I suppose, and, and some of the defensive that they had, which, in my mind, and I'm sure the mind of others, was, was better constructed than anything the Leafs have had during that same time period. But, you know, um, both teams are in, are in weird situations now because I think both of them are looking at looking at it thinking, well, you know, they, they wouldn't acknowledge it perhaps. But what could have been, right? Um, because the Jets had a real solid roster there, and it's, it's not what it, it was, for sure. And, uh, you know, I don't know that you can necessarily say about the same you could at least could say the same thing now that I'm not saying windows are closed or anything guys, but I think it's going to be a little more challenging. And, uh, you know, 
um, for the Jets maybe a little tougher because when you have a goalie of Connor Hellebuck's uh, pedigree and it hasn't happened, that's a tougher pill to swallow because at least I haven't had that guy. I mean, they've had Freddie Anderson, who was good, Jack Campbell, who was good at times. They have Ilya Samsonov now who's been good, but they're not in that Hellebuck category. So, you know, are both teams still potentially able to get there? I think so. Um, but, you know, both GMs still have challenges ahead of them that, you know, neither of them would have had a few years ago. And in Toronto's case, uh, Kyle Dubas might not necessarily have had. Yeah, I think this this season's going to be really interesting for both Winnipeg and Toronto. Yeah. Well, thanks for taking the time with us today, Terry. We really appreciate the conversation. Uh, take it easy, and we hope you have a great rest of the summer. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Have a good rest of the summer, too. Yeah, all the best, Terry. Always great having Terry on. Maybe we should have asked him if it's Bergeron's retiring a Nylander for Swayman deal, and the two teams just continue to hate each other. Well, now, now you're getting nuts. Now you're getting <laughs> that, really that's, nuts. That's nuts. <laughs> We're going to take a break right now. We got some Bergeron talk coming after the 1230 news coming up. We do have the Boston Pizza Sports Desk, and it seems like there's one less team involved in the Eric Carlson sweepstakes. For Jim Toth, I'm Tyson Rewicki, and you're listening to Jets at Noon on 680 CJOB. Jets at Noon on 680 CJOB. Thank you, Jeff. Welcome back to Jets at Noon. Tyson Rewicki here in for Cam Poitras. Jim Toth alongside me. And the great Patrice Bergeron has called it a career. Jim, I don't know if there's a single player in the past 30 years that kind of has garnered the respect that Patrice Bergeron has around the league. It's it's absolutely incredible the kind of culture that they've built over these past couple of years, especially going back to last season with the whole Mitchell Miller incident and Patrice Bergeron really taking a stand. I, it's just... He was the one, right? Yeah. Like, he was the one who called out the organization that he plays for. Yep, and I don't think there's anyone else in the league that would have that kind of pull with an organization to where you can you can say that, and the organization goes, you know, if Patrice is saying that, then maybe it's the right thing to do. Maybe we shouldn't let him come in. So I'm wondering why, right? It, it, no, I'm not wondering why, but I just think guys like this could still play, and I mean at a high level. He had 65 points in 73 games a season ago. Last season he had 58 points, 27 goals. In 78 games. Clearly not it is, you know. But, I mean, his career points are 1,040 in 1,294 games. Two-way center is what he is. He's the elite of the elite. Um, and I've been reading some stuff this morning where some people have called him, and I, I would I would argue for it. He is the best all-round hockey player. Yeah. He's not scoring, you know, 110 points in 80 games, but he is definitely keeping 40 to 50 goals out. I could be exaggerating that, but you know what I mean. Yeah, totally. So if he's scoring 60 to 70 points a year and he's keeping 30 to 40 out, and the six um, Selkie trophies is unheard of. He holds a record. They have to rename the trophy, I think. The face-offs, I mean, there's an argument that, so when we say perfect hockey player, is he a better all-round overall hockey player than Connor McDavid or Sidney Crosby? I would say defensively, yes. Yeah. it's And so I'm not trying to sit here and go, he's better than those, or you would rather have Bergeron than those guys. There, no way. But as an all-round, you know, perfect hockey player who does legitimately everything very well, that's him. Yeah. He's he's the one guy that teams would, I feel, would do whatever they can to get a guy like him in their locker room. Um, he released a statement through the team, and if you weren't able to read it at all, I would highly suggest it. It's, it's a very well-put-together statement by Patrice Bergeron. He says, It wasn't a decision that I came to lightly, but after listening to my body and talking with my family, 
I know in my heart that this is the right time to step away from playing the game I love. And it's congratulations, first of all, on a great career to Patrice Bergeron. But man, this leaves a massive hole in the Boston Bruins lineup. And especially if David Krejci, who's I would say is likely to depart from the from the franchise, you're looking at Pavel Zaka and Charlie Coyle as your number one and number two centers right now. And that's for a team that doesn't have any, they only have one pick in the first three rounds for the next two years. And that's a third round pick next year for a team that really needs to compete this upcoming season in a division that's as tough as the Atlantic. I'm not sure if this Bruins team as currently constructed has what it takes. I'd like to hear what do you think? Yeah, well, they're in trouble, but I think they knew this, right? They they went all in and were going with this on one-year terms for sure. Um, I mean, we've got to get to it. In comes the Mark Shifley was trending. The minute Pat- Patrice Bergeron announced his um, re- retirement, 19 seasons, nothing to look back on. When he mentions bodies, I mean, this is a guy who played with everything broken, busted up, anything through the playoffs. And what it reeks to me of is a guy after 19 years, because I always think 20 years would be nice. Like that's nice and even and all that. But then I, I think of how much he's been through. And then I just, I refer to Blue Bomber great Doug Brown, who always said, like, I think he retired the year he retired. He was an all-star in the CFL. And he just said the off season is to, in order to continue to do this at this all-star level for me, the off season has gone from an hour and a half to two hours in my twenties to four to five hours and and to spend four to five hours and then also go through the season. Like it's not easy, you know, getting banged around and beat up all the time and continuing to play at that age. So I get it, right? Like you either want to put that work in or you want to focus on something else. Um, so I, I understand, you know, a lot of us would just play until they told us we couldn't play anymore. A lot of guys at that elite level sort of walk away at this time. So I get what Bergeron's doing, but to me, if it's Mark Scheifele or Elias Lindholm, and I'm the Boston Bruins, I go after Elias Lindholm. Now, the problem is, is the biggest chip that the Bruins have to trade, in my opinion, is Jeremy Swayman to make something like this happen. The Calgary Flames do not need another goalie. They have Devin Wolf, they have Jacob Markstrom for another three years, and they also have, um, oh, what's his name? Dan Vladar. Dan Vladar. Sorry, yes. So, and I think they have to move one of those guys. And they said they're keeping Markstrom. So, Devin Wolf is not going to be happy in the A. He was literally the player of the year in the American Hockey League last year, not just goalie. So, to me, there's a fit here for the Jets. You get Swayman, you give them Shifley. Um, I, I don't know if Shifley would consider resign or if he would just go to, but if I'm Mark Shifley and I got a chance to play with David Pasternak and Brad Marchand, I'd be like, sign me up. I'll do this. The problem is, is you've got to get Jeremy Swayman back for that. Then you can deal Hellebuck somehow, some way, or you keep Hellebuck and have Swayman and Loren Brisson's here and you go down that road. So I think there's more of a fit for Boston with Mark Shifley if they need a, a number one center, which they do. But I also think that if I'm Boston, I'd prefer Elias Lindholm just because he's a much better all-round two-way center. Yeah, he fits more of the Patrice Bergeron mold than, say, a Mark Shifley. And Mark's a shooter, right? Yeah. And and, and um, Elias Lindholm's more of a playmaker. And if you're playing with Pasternak and Marchand, like, that's kind of what you would prefer. But again, I don't know. I'm looking at this roster, what the Calgary Flames would want from them. Now, there's some pieces they would want, but I... Like, are you trading Pavel Zaka to get Elias Lindholm? I don't think so. Like, that's part of the problem up front is your hole without Krejci and Bergeron. So I think there's a better fit there for the Jets and Boston, but it's got to include Swayman, in my opinion. Yeah, Swayman is 
definitely the base part of that package. And I think for a guy like Mark Scheifele, especially with the Bruins being in desperate need for a center and already having Linus Allmark in net, I think you can get a heck of a lot more than just Swayman. I do too. The, the only problem is, is that the Bruins don't have that many assets anymore after this past trade deadline. You can maybe try and get a guy like Brandon Carlo, who maybe become a part of a cap casualty with the on the on the Bruins there. But you look at their prospects, Fabian Lysel, he's a very solid name. He but do the Bruins want to give up their number one prospect when their prospect pool is so bare? There's Mark McLaughlin, John Beecher, do, yeah. but but those two guys are both they're gonna if they make the NHL, I find their ceilings more so as a top nine forward instead of that top six. So I, I just don't know if there's enough if you're getting enough value from the Bruins to send Mark Shifley there. Yeah. And, and, but I mean, the, the difference also is, is um, like, what will it do for your team? Like Jeremy Swayman does nothing for your team. If Connor Hellbuck's here, right. He does go and pass next year for sure. Um, but you would like to add something that, and then again, you're losing your number one center, right? Yeah. So I, I don't know if they would package up, um, like this is tough, right? Like, like Charlie Coyle makes 5.2. So you give us Coyle and Swayman. We'll give you Shifley and Vili Hanela or somebody like that or a prospect, and then you move forward this way. It just like I, I think teams when when you're talking to the Jets want Cole Perfetti. That's what I think they want. Whether it's at the trade deadline or right now, like we'll send you a valuable piece that will. But we want you know I don't think they're looking at the Rutger McGordys and the Chaz Luciuses. I think if you're talking about a hockey deal, they're looking at Cole Perfetti. And then I don't think the Jets want to do that. So, and we're just focusing on these two teams, right? But the Bruins are in trouble here, and and they gambled, and that's the problem with the gamble of not only bringing Krejci and Bergeron back and going for it last year, but having that historic point seat regular season they had, and then getting bumped in the first round. Like it hurts, it kills them. And then you look at the picks they've dealt to sort of do that. They don't have a pick till the fourth round in 2024, and then it's fourth, fifth, and sixth. They don't have a seventh. They have a, a conditional first round, depending on if it's top 10 protected or not. And then they have a third round and a fifth round. So they're going to want prospects. Like it's time with Bergeron and Krejci moving on. It's time for you to I get a number one center back like a Shifley and then get some prospects. And that's what they have to do. Do you think Patrice Bergeron retiring could have an impact? I mean, obviously it's going to have an impact regardless. But do you think the Bruins locker room right now has the ability to kind of band together and build on this? Or is this something that could really be a franchise altering decision right here? Well, they still have a team here, right? But it's older. It's, um, I think they're competitive. I think they can get into the playoffs. I don't think they can, I don't know if they're cup contenders anymore like they were last year, which is weird because they just lost. We don't know about Krejci, but could have lost just two players. But I mean, I'll ask you, historic season last year. And you get rid of Bergeron, you bring in Shifley. Are you all of a sudden not a playoff team or a contender? I don't know about that. Uh, yeah, it's, it's. I think that makes you more likely to make the playoffs, obviously. But just that impact that he has on the on the penalty kill and that spot that he played on the bumper this past season on the power play, like man, that that half clapper yeah. that he takes in the, in the slot, it's. And it's just so and- smart. But Mark Shifley is a smart hockey player. He makes on on the ice in the offensive zone. I mean, wasn't it him who said in San Jose after Rick Bonus wasn't happy that I'm a more of a playmaker? I'm not a, when Rick Bonus said to shoot more. So um, I don't think they're a non-playoff team. The other part of this is Linus Allmark, who just won the Vesna. 
He's got two years left at $5 million. The Bruins need to do some things here. They don't have to do it this year, but they need to do it next year. And without Bergeron, probably this year. But, like, are you hooking your wagon to Linus Allmark at $5 million? Or are you hooking your wagon to Jeremy Swayman? What's better over the next five to six years for you? Yeah. For a guy like Allmark, who's already had some injury concerns, it's... You don't want to just go in. I don't from, know because it's in the East. You talk to the Devils. I know you want, you're looking at Hellebuck, and I know you're looking at John Gibson. Here's Linus Hallmark. He's two years at $5 million. Yeah. Just won the keep swimming, But you've got to give us something for it. Like yeah. you've so, I, I don't know. Like I know everybody's focused on Swayman, and rightfully so, because he's the 24-year-old who's an RFA, and you could get him here and, and send somebody out. But I, I don't know if the Bruins don't go – Here's a 29-year-old Vesna-winning goalie that's ready to go for any contending team. Yeah. And we got to move them, or one of them. Or if they just re-sign Swayman to a two- to three-year deal like they did in Florida with um, Spencer Wright, and, and or Spencer Knight, sorry, and then, and then they go sort of with Allmark and Swayman for the next two years. I, I, I don't know. Like, there's just, there seems to be a ton of business that could be done. I just don't know if it's going to get done. Like, that's what we're talking with Terry. Like, it doesn't have to be done this year, but it should be if you want a future. It, it seems like the floodgates are really getting pushed to their limits right now, this NHL offseason, because it, there's a lot of teams that still have a lot of holes. You look at, the, like you mentioned, Elias Lindholm with the Flames. There's a bunch of players on the Jets and Flames where they've already made it well known that they're not necessarily open to re-signing with their clubs. And so and look, where do you if, go from there? If there? I agree with you wholeheartedly. And if there's a deal with Shifley here, I mean, this is no disrespect to Patrice Bergeron and it's no disrespect to Mark Shifley to say he's nowhere near the all-round caliber hockey player of Bergeron. But he's still an, an elite center in the league. Yeah. Top 10, top 12. Bergeron's 38 years old, banged up. Are they better with a 29-year-old Mark Shifley, or are they better with a 38-year-old deteriorating, banged up? And I know he just won the Selkie. Don't get me wrong. But do you know what I mean? At 39 years old and and going through another grueling season, or are you better off with a 29-year-old center that you might be able to sign until he's 35? Yeah, and and who knows what that chemistry with Pasternak is like. All of a sudden, those two guys get start clicking, and he could I, really I, turn it's it It's one of the better options. I'm like everybody. It's Elias Lindholm and Mark Shifley. Yeah. And and I look at the Flames, and I just I don't know what the fit there is for the Flames to, to send Lindholm there yeah. other than to get rid of Lindholm. But you're not going to deal Lindholm for nothing. They're in the same boat as, as the Jets. I just see more of a fit with the Jets given the fact that they would like a goal. Like, Swayman's the key to me. And I've already said this, but Calgary does not need a goalie. But if it is Lindholm, do you not call up the Calgary Flames if you're Sheffield Day off and go, what are you doing with your goalies? Yep, totally. Tell us what you think. Do you think the Bruins are a fit for Mark Shifley? Where else do you think Mark Shifley can fit? If you have any trade proposals, send them into 204-780-6868 and let us know. We're going to take a quick break and be right back. Tony D'Angelo. Tony! Mentioned him a little bit earlier, but... uh, he had, sounds like he had some choice words for his for his old club in Philly. We'll take a quick break and be right back. Jets at noon. Tyson Rowicki, Jim Toth, right here on 680 CJOB. Jets at noon on 680 CJOB. Welcome back to Jets at noon. I'm Tyson Rowicki along with Jim Toth. And Jim, you mentioned about getting nuts on this Tuesday afternoon. You want to get nuts? Oh, let's get really nuts. Let's with get nuts. Kevin on the text line. Kevin suggests... Trademark Shifley to Calgary, Elias Lindholm to Boston, and Swayman to Winnipeg in a three-team deal. 
I mean, I think that I think there could be some pieces added on a couple of the sides there. But what do you think about the 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 groundwork for that a sort of well, trade? Well, like I mean, that? why would the Flames want Mark Shifley? They have the problem with Elias Lindholm, and if Elias Lindholm's not signing long term, then you got to find out if Mark Shifley would sign long term in Calgary. And if he wouldn't, you're just trading one problem for the other. Maybe Mark Shifley just really likes the Stampede, though. He loves the Stampede. I think him and Morrissey and Adam Lowry, they stampeded up every summer, I think. <laughs> I know they golf out there and work out together. So, I, again, like that's what's holding this all up. And and I've gone this down this road before. Um, like Lindholm pushed back a little bit on the fact that he doesn't want to resign there. But I don't know why the Dubois, the Johnny Goudreaux, the Matthew Tuchucks of the world would, if you know the money's going to be there, why would you ever sign long term unless you know you want to be there? Which they don't, right? Yeah. So if they're looking at free agency a year away, and and so you do work this deal out, and the, you, you talk to Mark and go, you're going to Calgary. He might go, well, I'll see how it goes in Calgary before I want to resign there. Which why wouldn't you? You know you're going to get a deal. You know some cash is going to be there. So it just really handcuffs the teams, right? If you don't want to resign with the team you're with, how they move you without resigning. That being said. I don't know why Mark Shifley wouldn't want to resign in Boston. Yeah. If he went to Boston and played in the East and the travel and all that, that's why Blake Wheeler wanted to go to the East was the travel and he could travel less. He could be a number one center there, play with Pasternak and Marchand and on that power play. If Boston wanted him, I don't know why if the deal would be done that he wouldn't want to resign there long-term depending on what the cash would be. Yeah. And, and if Boston wants to go six, seven years at nine mil, but I don't know if they want to do that, right? Right. And I think, I honestly think players and agents even are taking some lessons from the MPA. I think that these players are starting to exercise their rights a little bit yeah. more. And you're seeing a lot of these younger guys are taking two year deals. And I said this when Pierre Luc Dubois said two years ago that I'm, I'm not, not resigning in Winnipeg. I'm just, I'm going to free agency. I want the right to choose. And then this year it changed again where he was like, and he explained that in his press conference where he's like, well, I just didn't want to go through another one-year thing and I wanted to decide it now. So he forced the hand NBA-like. But Goudreau, Tuchuk, like Tuchuk didn't say I want out of Calgary. He said, I'm just not resigning here. Yeah. I've, I've lived six or seven years of my life here, or six. I've enjoyed every minute of it, but I want to choose where I want to live now. And everybody thought it was going to be St. Louis and it wasn't. But my point is this, is that Goudreau, Kachuk, Shifley, Elias Lindholm, all these guys who know the money's got. And when I say money, I'm talking seven, eight million dollars. And Bertuzzi, all those guys only signing one year deals. They want to decide where they want to play. And like you said, the NBA, they're pushing back. And I think the guys who know that the money's going to be there are going to continuously do this. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting couple of years, especially with the cap rising up. But we're getting close to the end of the show here and just. Quickly, you mentioned something about Tony D'Angelo to me. Well, D'Angelo is happy to be back in Carolina, but said the coach and I wound up not fitting together. I guess that would be the main reason. That's John Tortorella. Now, most of the times I would be, oh, torts. But then you got D'Angelo here too, who has been known not to get along with a lot of people. Now I want to know the real story. However, D'Angelo also says he realizes not everyone will be happy to have him back in Carolina, but I had a great relationship with the Hurricane fans, which would... Uh, wound up being awesome. One of the big reasons I wanted to come back on the way the fans embraced me there and the organization, yada, yada, yada. I would still trade Pesci to San Jose and grab Carlson. Wow. And your right side would be Brent Burns. Er, well, it'd probably be Eric Carlson, Brent Burns, and Tony D'Angelo. Well, 
I mean, Tortorella no, played. That's nuts. Tor- Tortorella played five D men this past season instead of playing Tony D'Angelo. So that that tells you all you have to know about him. But thank you all for listening today. Special thanks to the best in the biz, producer Jeff Fortier. Jeff Braun has the news at one o'clock. Jim is going to take Jim Tilda is going to take you all the way to three. I'm Tyson Rowicki, and we'll be back tomorrow, same time, same place. For Jim Toth, I'm Tyson Rowicki, and keep it locked right here on 680 CJOB. 911 on a new night Thursday March 14th on Global stream on Stack TV